way to encourage us because we're just bound to be discouraged in life. Why? We're not perfect. And we of ourselves, our own intellect, our own drive, our own knowledge isn't good enough to do the job. I'd like to have us turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 and uh, let's begin there. And I'll be dancing to and fro in the chapters. But I'd like to talk about Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest of God's great, great prophets. Marvelous man of God. A man of great strength. And he got discouraged. And so I think by studying this man's life, we are better off. 1 Kings 18, verse 46. It says, The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Now you know people who God seems to be working with just seems like they're just special. And you just wonder, will they ever tire? Will they ever quit? Will they ever back down? No. No, I don't think they ever will, because God's hand is on them. Well, how come it's not on me? Because I don't have enough lead in my pencil sometimes. How about you? Uh, sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get grouchy like an old bear. And uh, what about me? How come? How come? How come? And uh, I, I ask that question a lot of times as I talk to people, you know. Man, you don't have a problem. Did you know 40,000 people starve to death today? Uh, that's a problem, isn't it? But hey, our problems are still real. They're still real, aren't they? They're still important because uh, God didn't want you to live a downer life and expect you to look forward to an upper life, which is in heaven. It's for both lives, the one to come and the one that is now. And uh, he proved it as he went through the scriptures here. So just quickly, let's just go together. First Kings 17, verse 14. This shows that here's a woman starving to death, and she asks for the prophet. The prophet comes, and uh, he feeds that family from two little vessels, one a little cruise of oil, and the other a little sack of grain. And as long, he said, as you stay with me and care for me, God's prophet, I will see that the bag is never empty and the little bowl of oil is never dry. And so help me. What a wonderful, miraculous marriage. You see, that's a small thing. But if you're dying of starvation, that's a wonderful thing. Isn't it? I love that. I, I, I look to pork chops. I look to the next meal. I'm concerned about that. You know, uh, Jesus may come soon, I don't know, but in the meantime, I hope there's taters and gravy on the plate, don't you? It's a real thing, and when I look at a little child, I, uh, I want them to have their little tummies full too, because I don't ever want to see a little swollen belly child, do you? I, I hope I never have to see such a thing, and so much of the world is dealing with that today. And then in verse 23 of 1 Kings 17, the little uh, boy dies. What a sad thing, a little baby dies. And so God uh, allows him with the power of his spirit to heal that little boy and bring him back to life. Now that's power. That's power undreamed of. And I tell you, there's no fission process or atomic bomb that has a thousandth part of the power that could bring a dead one back to life. What a wonderful and miraculous thing that was. And then 1 Kings 18, verse 22, there were 450 priests of Baal. And he defeats every one of them. And he taunts their pagan god, Lord Moloch. And he uh, puts that god down and laughs. Is your god asleep? And he causes those great priests 
to be killed because they had desecrated the authority of God's prophet and God's people and God's kingdom. What a powerful man he was. In verse 41, he prays that the king of Samaria, because he had opposed God's people, that he not have rain in his land for three years. And as long as he prays, they don't have it. And when he says, okay, you're behaving yourself, I'm going to restore your land, and so I'm going to pray that the rains come. And wow, they came. And hey, where's our Elijah today? Man, I looked across the other day, and uh, well, Sally and the bunch gathered there across the river just Thursday night, and here was a fire again. And we didn't think there was anything left to burn over there. You know, our, our green country's turning black in some places, too. Where's a Elijah that'll say, hey, God, uh, spare our land? Is he trying to teach us or tell us something? And that great, powerful man caused uh, the land to be restored, to become green again. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he destroys two units of 50s of soldiers, that is, a hundred soldiers he destroys as they come to defile God's prophet and to hurl him down in the name of Jezebel. Ah, Jezebel. Wow, if you have enemies like that, you're no minor man, are you? Five foot two with eyes of blue and hatred in her heart. But I tell you, as she opposed God and she opposed God's prophet, what aftest to her uh, on the second story window, remember, she's thrown out dead into the streets, and the dog leave nothing but the sole of her feet. So much for those who oppose God's prophets. Be careful. Be aware that God will not be mocked, and neither will his men and women. Neither will his small children be mocked. Oh, what a powerful passage that is. But did he, did he, did he really get discouraged? Why, sure he did. That big spasmo with all this power and this strength and this authority to call down fire and lightning and thunder and all these other things, he gets discouraged and goes to a cave and sulks. Now, I have a little cave up above my house. And when I want to throw a little tantrum, I can go up there under the waterfall and just sulk. And uh, I, I haven't heard of voices. What are you doing here, Fat Albert? Well, a voice hasn't come down from heaven to me yet, but you know, maybe he'll get me moving sometime because hiding in a cave isn't where he wants God's boys and girls, is it? He wants them to stand out front and to stand out tall and to tell it like it is. Ah, Jezebel, you'll not win anything. You know, he takes his mantle and he lays it on the shoulder of the new one coming over. He is a mentor to a young prophet of great promise and of great power and authority. And his name was Elisha. And he lays his mantle on him, so to speak. I pass my authority. I pass my work on to you. And that's a difficult thing. As we see our children rise and grow stronger, it's so hard to let loose of them. And we just have to realize now when they reach this stage right here and they look down on you and pat your bald head and say, oh, Papa, it was so good to come to your house. You just have to say, well, honey, we've passed on, Mom and I, the cloak, the mantle of our family name and honor. And we have given you the knowledge of Jesus. Now go and conquer the world. And that's the hard thing to do. You folks with little bitty guys, uh, you're involved with tiny problems. But wait till they get to be teeny boppers. And the problems uh, involve big cars and uh, all kinds of other problems that aren't just kissy, kissy, mm, and it'll be better. It won't work that way. You better do a good job while they're young. That's very important to do that. Well, 
great enemies? Yeah, we have great enemies. And sometimes we're a little scared, but I want you to know this, that he that is with us, see, is much greater, see, than he that is in the world. And uh, we've had sermons on that. But we do have a power and authority, don't we? And that power isn't dead, and that power isn't gone yet. You know, verse 9, reading in 1 Kings chapter 19, And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Man, I wouldn't want to hear that. Fat Albert, what are you sulking under the waterfall for? <laughs> I wasn't appointed to this committee. Oh, <laughs> That's no Jezebel. Jezebel could kill you and remove your lips with an army of 20,000 men. Some of her forebears stacked skulls in a pyramid that was at the base 200 feet by 200 feet. These were guys that didn't mind removing your lips. He had real problems. I don't have that kind of problem, but it still affects me. We're that way, aren't we? Because we're human in nature. And so he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, look in verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 19. I've done all your work. They have forsaken thy covenant, the church has, the covenanted people. They have thrown down thy altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even only, <coughs> I am left. <laughs> well, the histrionics aren't real, but that was what he, that's what he was doing, wasn't it? This great and powerful man of God was whining that everybody that heard the message didn't behave themselves and do what the preacher said. My goodness, that's one of the shocks of being a preacher. <laughs> it's one of the discouragements of being a preacher, don't you know that? Nobody's afraid of Satan, they're afraid of God's people. Will they attend to the word of God or not? Will they be blessed? Will they use this as a way of life or not? That's what really hurts somebody who loves the Lord and deigns to preach. You know, Luther said there are two things. Martin Luther said there are two things that we do alone. Two things that we do alone. One is that we each, each must come to a time when we die alone. Uh, you, you can't share that with anybody. You can't give that to anybody. You can't buy that from anybody. That is one thing that we face, God Almighty alone. And I've, I've, I've been in several homes where they said, well, preacher, why don't you talk to the missus back there? You know, she kind of takes charge of God around here. She's kind of charge of religion around the house here. Well, what an awful thing. I wonder, I wonder, will he say, well, this woman that thou gave me, she didn't tell me. Will that be sufficient? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And the other thing, he said, we must each believe of our own. Believe alone. You cannot give someone your belief. You know, Paul said that one time, didn't he? He said, if I could die for them, I would. I love God's people. He said, if I could die for them, I would, but I can't. For each woman, each man, each child is responsible to the Father in heaven. Isn't that an awesome thing? We ultimately must all stand before the judgment seat of God with nobody standing beside us. It's not a group thing at all. 
And I believe that Martin Luther was right in that circumstance. Lonely decisions that have to be made. And so look at verse 11. Verse 11 to 12 makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And of course, that's not too much hair to stand up. It's not visible. But I'll tell you what. This is an awesome God we deal with here. Verse 11 to 12. And he said, go forth, you little wimp. Paraphrase. Stand upon the mount before God, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in that wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still, small voice. Isn't that cool? Uh, I haven't read any analysis that really satisfies me about this, and I looked up three or four. But I'll tell you what, it is obvious here that God works several ways, doesn't he? Now, if you want to get my attention, you'll hit me right between the eyes with a hirsute fist, and I'll blink and I'll respond. Others of you may respond to beautiful music or a sunset or a quiet word out of the Bible. Or maybe a simple prayer. Or an example of an, expired, an inspiring loved one. That, that may be what it is. You know, this is the first reference to the Casper wind in the Bible. This really is. And you'll find there that he says, The wind broke in pieces the rock. And that's the first allusion to the Casper wind. You know, even the Bible knew that that would come to pass. Here's a piece of jade, nephrites, toughest rock in the world. Tough as a diamond fellow. Uh, have you been reading your own books? Yes, yes, diamonds are harder, but not to fracturing. They're soft. This has no, this has conchoidal fracture, has no preferential, whereas diamond has octahedral, 001 cleavage, and therefore a diamond would wear away a long time before this piece of jade would. And you know what the wind has done to this? It has wind polished it. Now this is a beautiful piece of exquisite jade out here on the Sweetwater, best jade on the face of the earth. And this tough, enduring rock has been polished by the almighty hand and wind of God. So you don't tell me that the Bible just deals with allegories all the time, but this is reality, isn't it? So I'd like to have you all look at this. If someone please take good care of it, because I'd cry if it wasn't home tomorrow night. I'd be lonesome without it. That's a wind-polished ventifact. Uh, it's a... It's a nullifact. It is not a dry canter or schwei canter or a fünf canter. It has no facet on it, but it has still been polished by the wind of God. Right out here on the old sweet water. How many years? Heavens knows. I don't know how long, but thousands of years God has put the kibosh on that hard rock. He's done it before. He's still doing it. Can't he do it again? Indeed, he really can. Wow, wow. Man alive, that's power, isn't it? Well, I love that 11 and 12 because a still small voice. And I think God has been speaking to us by still small voices, but I don't know how long he's going to keep doing that. He may start using a louder voice. That is his privilege, isn't it? Well, when this great man dies, he is translated. He goes up into heaven in a whirlwind with fiery chariots and fiery horses. What a way to live this, leave this veil of tears. God's special man goes home, and he leaves the mantle of his authority to the new prophet coming on so that God's business is forever renewed, ever continuing, and ever going on. You know...
in verse 14 of 2 Kings 2, we read this. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? So he's still here, isn't he? That's your cue there, big buddy. <laughs> Where is the God of Elijah? Uh, is he still around? Yes, he is. Is God still working through his people, his prophets, his ministers, his teachers, his Bible school teachers, his revivalists, his neighborly witnesses? Sure he is. God's power is still rampant and still going to town. You know, I believe that God's hand is closer to us and God's spirit is closer to us now than in the time of Elijah because Jesus said, when I leave you, I'll send a spirit just like myself and he'll be here, right up here, reasoning with you, talking with you, praying with you, intervening and interceding for you. I know this much, that the God who spoke to us by wind and by fire and a shaking earth and a, a terrible storms, that God is still alive and well and still speak to us in noises loud and strong or in the still small voice of God. I think that many of us are searching for God's wisdom in this book alone. You want to help your children? This is the best thing to know. This is the best document in raising children. You want to live with someone for 50, 60, or 70 years? This is the best advice in doing that. I believe this is that still small voice that reaches in with us, and as we know and as we study and as we place that word in our mind and heart, then we begin to live together as God would want us to live and not snooty psychiatrists. We don't need that. We need the word of God. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 God who at sundry time and divers manners spoken to uh, the fathers by the prophets, but has spoken now unto us by the Son. He has now spoken to us by the Son. We have something better than the ancient prophets, something better even like we have Elijah, we know what happened. We know what he preached, we know what happened, we have the benefit of that. But we also have our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ which wasn't as real in the Old Testament. Believe you me, not by a long shot, wasn't it? Jesus said in John 18, verse 20, I spoke openly to the world. He said, I spoke to you in the synagogues. I spoke to you in the temple. But now listen to what he says. He says, I have said nothing to you in secret. See, this is no secret. This is the most thoroughly documented book on the face of the earth. At least 27,000 separate manuscripts have been involved by over 40 authors over a period of 2,200 years. And it's the most thoroughly known and understand document on the face of the earth. And he says, I've not done it by secret. It isn't it true. I don't know. Chuck, it's about a billion Bibles that the Gideons have given just the Russians alone. That's no secret to them anymore. Granted, now there's still a lot of Bibles that need to still keep going. But you know what? Uh, just ignorance of the Word of God and the mind of God, it can't be tolerated, at least by God's people, can it? And boy, I think of that. And you know, the Word means the Logos, doesn't it? Logical. The logical one, the personification of intellect. 
And so God calls those with a good mind to know his mind, to know his spirit, to know his plans. You know, uh, we have a couple of young men with us today, Brian Wing and, uh, and uh, Brother Keith, is he here? Okay, I, I can't see. Okay, um, they've been doing something. They've been doing a, a searching for a very practical way to use the Word of God to become better family men, to become better fathers, uh, teachers of their children. And uh, we'd like to just spend a few minutes and share with you uh, how practical the Word of God is and how it can be applied in a way that will help you and your children and your loved ones. Okay, one of the first things we did, uh, we want to share with you today, we had our marriage retreat the middle of June, and uh, it was down at Guernsey State Park. We had 38 people total. We had 21 adults and 17 kids, and uh, what we were striving to do is just try and have some fun and, and uh, get couples together. To, we got to witness to each other. We got to give our own testimonies of how we met, communication skills, and so forth of what our marriage was and what my desire was is I love my wife very much, but do I love her the way that God designed for us, the way that, you know, I'd rather have my marriage <clears throat> be successful in God's eyes than look successful to the world. Um, we had a great time. Charles and uh, Deborah Beard were our guest speakers. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. Say anything? <laughs> Uh, just want to encourage those that uh, didn't come this year. We'll be doing this again next year. Try and make this an annual thing. This was our tryout deal. Uh, you can see we had some fun on the boat and when the boat decided to run. Had some fun on the boat. It's jet skis. Had a good time. Fellowship, recreation, and uh, food. Lots of food. For those of you missed out, we had a lot of food there. Uh, too much food. We could have had another hundred people there and still had food. But uh, it was real encouraging to us. Um, you get to know your family, brothers and sisters, a lot better this way. I always know each other here, but you just don't get close like when you spend a weekend together like this. And uh, mm -hmm. it's real encouraging to be together like this and have a lot of fun camping out and and uh, eating together and had some classes together with uh, Charles and Deborah Beard. Like uh, Brian said, they came over from Platte Valley for us and led us in some classes. And uh, you know, like I was saying this morning earlier that uh, whether you've been married a month or 50, 60 years, there's a crafty man out there called Satan and he's always working on our marriages. And uh, if we can spend one weekend uh, you know, building them up, with each other, uh, it's a light, lot brighter situation for us in the end. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend a marriage retreat if you're having serious problems with your marriage. You don't necessarily have to have problems to go to a marriage retreat. We did it mainly to strengthen the one that you have, and, and like Rick said, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been married for 50 years, you can go and you can encourage younger couples of what you've done right and what you've done wrong. and 
and it really builds a lot of closer relationships with people in your church that you can rely on and, and be accountable to uh, with your relationship with your spouse and your family and your kids. And so we're definitely going to do another one next year. I'd encourage you, if you didn't make it this year, to try and make plans to do it next year. <clears throat> because it was really a lot of fun. There are some things we, we're going to redo and some things we'll, <laughs> we'll try and fix. But uh, for the most part, for the first time, we had a lot of fun. It was very successful. And, and uh, I was very encouraged by how the turnout was and, and what happened and the experiences. I said that. Uh, I, I built a lot of closer relationships with people that have even been coming to the church for a long time, but until you get off and you can start witnessing and share some personal experiences about your life and your spouse and along with some friends and family, you know, it's just hard to build those relationships, just seeing each other once a week or, or what have you. I'd also like to thank Amber and Ashley who took the kids for us while we had our meetings. They had a lot of kids, and I'm sure that was hectic on their side, but I want to thank them and, and Tom and Tammy for taking all these pictures. They did a good job of taking pictures of all the fun we had, and, and uh, just encourage you guys to make plans for this next year. Amen. Uh, Rick Keith and Brian Wing love the Lord. Uh, they are seeking in their way to encourage their family the Bible way. And so uh, this is why I love the church. You know, we need each other and uh, we need this symbiosis which we have, rich living together that we might each one uh, multiply and gather around. We not only have the word of God, but we have prayer and the power and the authority of prayer. And great numbers of prayers are better than single prayers, aren't they? Hey, all of us together can work a great work. Let me conclude with this. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's still there, man. He is still there. He is still alive and well. And if you're discouraged today, there are answers to those problems. Is the power gone of Elijah? No, that power is still here. We have the entire mind of God in the Old and the New Testament and how successful that is for living. If you will turn to Acts 1, beginning in verse 8, there's just a couple of concluding verses. He said, but ye shall receive power when you receive the Spirit and it has come upon you. For ye shall be witnesses of those things you have heard in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Sumeria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so the church has reached out from this small precious circle all around the world to deliver that. And then in that book of Acts, the story of power is so beautiful, so magnificent. I, I, I'm overwhelmed sometimes. For in verse 9, he said, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Remember how Elijah left in this veil of tears? There was a great whirlwind of clouds and a fiery chariot and fiery horses, and Jesus ascends up into heaven in a fiery cloud. I, I just think how like Elijah he was, how important he was as a prophet. He was not only king, but he was not only priest, he was also prophet, for he told of things to come, and they all were fulfilled. 
In Acts 2.42, that power continues. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And that's what you did today. All of us participated in those at least four essential elements of worship service. We have done those things that God wants us to do. And there's a power in God's people gathering together and doing those precious things. You remembered his body and his blood until he comes again. How precious that promise is. But you know, that's not all of it, is it? Uh, verse 43 says this, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They did those powers of the prophets of the Old Testament. They lived that life of success and glory. Were they ever discouraged? And certainly they were. And they perished oftentimes for preaching the gospel, but they never quit. They were never discouraged. I tell you, giants of the faith did get discouraged. Giants of the faith today still get discouraged. Does it stop them? Does it put it down? Never, 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 never will we be put down. They went on to win as we shall go on to win. And the God of Elijah is still here. Stick your chest out. Be proud. The God of Elijah is still with you and still with me. Today, I think that God has spoken pretty much to us in a small, quiet voice. I look to the future as he will not be treating America that way from here on. After 9-11, he sees treating us with kid gloves. And we realize in America that we are not inviolate, that we stand liable, that we can be victims of unseemly circumstances, that we're not the master of entirely of our own destiny, but we all must survive in this veil of tears. And I believe his is the best plan of survival. You know, as I saw those two towers stumble, Pat was talking about communion. Hey, things are different now, aren't they? And did he speak to us from fire and thunder and a mighty wind of hot flames? And then afterward in the smoke and quiet ash, was there a feeling like we got to change this world? We got to get right with our heavenly father. Easy times are over with. I'll tell you as a geologist that earthquakes are on a geometric increase. Why, I don't know, but I believe God's triggering a new geological epoch. He's done it 17 times. Why shouldn't he do it again? Oh, unbelievers, how frail of intellect sometimes we are. The earth has changed since time began, and he can do it at any will, any moment. He may do it again. So the God of thunder, God of fire, the God of earthquakes, and the God of the still small voice is still calling you today. Have we reached a point in America where he now will get our attention? You know, if a little boy uh, gets in the candy dish too many times, there's one way to get his attention, isn't there? Whop! And you have his attention. Is he doing that? you and to me. Is there a still small voice as you sit there saying, you know what? I need a church home. I need this one called Jesus. I need a Lord bigger than myself. 
And I really believe that America is crying out for that very thing today. As we stand and sing, we offer you the opportunity to become part of the fellowship, to make a confession of faith, to be baptized for the remission of sins, to look forward together with your fellow man to the heaven that's sure to come. Would you come?